Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Adam Pranica. I'm your other host, Ben Harrison. Ben, we're cruising right through season two. Uh, this was an episode I wanted to veto. and uh, You were tempted. About, about 15 minutes in, I was still pretty sure I wanted to veto it. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we should get right into it then. Uh, I felt very differently. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd like to hear about uh, why that is exactly. Let's, uh, let's kick off Season 2, Episode 3, Elementary Dear Data. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. So, uh, Enterprise is... It's gotten to the rendezvous point early. It's going to meet up with the USS Victory and... Uh, Data is wandering down to engineering because he's been told that there's some urgent business that he needs to discuss with Chief Engineer Jordy LaForge. Shimoda's not around, unfortunately. Yeah, Data's doing that tight walk like he has to shit. Like He's, <laughs> he's kind of speed walking uh, all around the ship trying to get there. Yeah, Jordy is working on a model ship, a, a pretty cool one. It's like a, I don't know, Dreadnought or something like that, uh, USS, the original USS Victory, that the HMS. Yeah, this model ship, it does not look like the sort of thing you could buy at a hobby shop and and put together. This is like the size of an executive desk. It's huge. Yeah. Real cool. Real fun to look at. Yeah, it must have taken him like five years to build it. Like, it's it's pretty intricate. Yeah, and p- Jordy is, says he's making he's made it uh, as a gift for the captain of the Starship Victory, which makes me wonder, like, why Jordy is... Like, this is a... Like, if somebody gave me this, I would feel indebted to them for the rest of my life. Well, I, I had guessed that the captain of the Victory was a woman and that this was oh. yet another uh, uncomfortable display of affection that we'll get to know... Uh, from the character of Jordy. Um, did you get that uh, LeVar Burton sounds like he's fighting a massive sinus infection on this episode? This is my gift to the Victory's Captain Zimbara. Uh, I didn't, but I watched this on my laptop in a hotel room, so um, don't take any audio notes from me uh, particularly wow. seriously. It goes uncommented on the entire hour, but holy shit, he sounds really sick. <laughs> And I couldn't find anything in the show notes about it, but I'm just going to guess that LeVar Burton really rose to the occasion here. Could have called in sick and didn't. Jordy uh, functionally says, Data, I showed you mine. Now you show me yours. And uh, unfortunately, he's not talking about ding-dongs. He's talking about recreations that they, that they enjoy. So Jordy enjoys building model ships. Boy, that was a long walk to that to that punchline. <laughs> Where are we going, Ben? Oh, you'll find out. <laughs> Don't worry, Adam. It's a dick joke, just like always. <laughs> have you ever have you ever heard me go on a long walk that didn't end up in a dick joke? I, for some reason, I always expect different, and I am always delighted when it's the same. Yeah, you're you are Charlie Brown, and I am Lucy, and yeah. And uh, <laughs> and that football is a dick. 
<laughs> There's another long walk for you. Yeah. Oh, love them. So they basically agree that Jordy's like, here's how I've been spending all my free time. Now let's do something fun for you. And Jordy basically tells Data that his free time should be spent on the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like a choice for Data or something that he would choose, but he uh, he pulls out a sack with a pipe in it, and Data gets the picture that, oh yeah, he gets to be Sherlock Holmes again. Yeah, I get to put on that ridiculous accent one more time. Uh, an accent that everyone knows and loves. So they go into the holodeck. Program complete. You may enter. It is Sherlock Holmes's Baker Street apartments. I will play Sherlock Holmes and Lieutenant LaForge will be Dr. John Watson. And they're marveling at how great the holodeck is, which I feel like in these early episodes is like a requisite every time they load up a holodeck program. Everybody has right. to spend 10 minutes talking about how intricate the the program appears to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, everyone's really surprised to be there. Yeah. So, it, I, I mean, like, you have to assume that it's like like putting on an Oculus Rift for us now, where it's like, whoa, this is so cool. I can't believe this technology exists now. Like, the, the Enterprise is an early adopter for this technology, presumably. Yeah, the thing about people in the future is they seem really resistant to the sort of addiction that we might feel in the present. Like, how could you not want to be there all the time? Yeah. They're 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 in there and and you know no sooner have they they settled down talking about how how wonderfully intricate the simulation is than inspector somebody knocks on the door <laughs> and announces that a mystery is afoot and data has it solved in under a minute it's like you know the guy that he comes with has has complained of a crime and data's like he's not the victim he's the perpetrator and he's he's uh you know in league with the Prussian government or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, like basically as soon as the characters enter the room, he has solved the mystery and and torn apart one of the characters' piece of clothing in order right. to do it. I mean, it's like it's like uh going to the movie theater and walking past the people lined up to see the new S- Star Wars movie and telling him what happens to Han at the end. Right. Right. You know, he just he knows the ending so he jumps right to it and like Jordy is so angry at Data in this scene. Computer Freeze program. Han is Leia's brother, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you got that right. Um, and then Ray is Han's daughter? Concubine. Right. Yeah. Who's Yoda's dad? This is about as angry as we've seen Jordy, right? Exit. About anything. Yeah, he is real pissed. He's rip shit. Where are you going, Jordy? I'm done. They go to ten forward, and like eventually he says, "Like Data, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. It's just that was not what I had in mind." But uh, yeah, he played like the Levar Burton plays plays this in a strange way. I think we're starting to see a picture of Jordy that is, you know, he's got a real short temper. He's real uncomfortable around women. Mm-hmm. Like you're starting to see it, the picture of a man who, who really can't have relationships of any kind. Yeah, you don't blame women for being skeeved out by by him. His best friend is a robot. <laughs> kind of troubling. So they're uh, they're in ten forward, chewing through their difference of opinion, and uh, who should happen to chime in? But the 
exquisitely bigoted Dr. Pulaski. Who uh, always seems to be in 10 forward, right? Yeah, she's, she is drinking on the job. Is she a fake alcoholic? Is that her deal? Yeah, synthaholic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if they've talked about synthahol yet. Drugs can make you feel good. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, I mean, Sonny Clemens was uh, real impressed with that martini, so... Sure. He was an idiot, though. You could fool him pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, if if he thought that guitar was good, <laughs> he didn't have very high standards. Yeah, we can't trust his judgment. <laughs> uh, but uh, they get in a... Uh, what What is in this episode and uh, in, like, actual philosophical and artificial research, like, a pretty interesting debate like can data a computer intelligence be said to actually be intelligent and and the bet is made that data couldn't solve a a holmes type mystery that he hasn't read it's sort of a weird variation of the turing test right yeah exactly and and this this episode like like this is this is a hot debate i mean like there's there's definitely people that are that fall on either side of it in the like academic research world and i thought this was a really fun way to kind of introduce the premise of the debate and explore it a little bit in uh in a in a fun sci-fi television show type of context sure like pulaski's contention is that data would be unable to solve any mystery requiring him to use any kind of like intuition or creativity right he doesn't understand thinking. the human soul and that's uh one thing you know for all of the analytical uh similarities he has with sherlock holmes he has this huge empath- empathic blind spot when, yeah. when it comes to human nature uh unlike pulaski whose bedside manner is like fucking <laughs> troll i don't know like, <laughs> yeah. she's terrible yeah you know it, she is more in in line with your average Starfleet doctor that we've seen depicted on screen, though. I mean, Dr. Crusher is very unique in being a, a nurturing doctor with actual yeah. bedside manner. When yeah. you think about Bones McCoy, when you think about Hologram Doctor from Star, Star Trek Voyager, when you think about Arrogant, thinks more highly of himself than anything in the world doctor from Deep, Deep Space Nine, like... Do you think the difference is that Beverly's the only mother of that group and the rest of them are are solo, single practitioners? I mean, Pulaski's womb has been dusty for like 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and McCoy, I don't believe we ever knew if he had a family or anything. It sure seemed like he didn't. Yeah. The, the rest of them were sort of rogue agents, rogue yeah, doctors. True. And oh. maybe it takes being a parent to be a, a, a doctor with some bedside manner. Yeah. It is the guiding principle of a dark reading face. Now, you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. Data, is, as, as is his want, uh, a real good sport every time the doctor busts some fucking incredibly insulting language out. Your artificial friend doesn't have a prayer of solving a Holmes mystery that he hasn't He's doing that thing that your parents tell you to do when a bully is bullying you, and which is to just ignore them. Right. Which, which never actually works. No. Yeah. It's only encouraging Pulaski further. But uh, essentially, Jordy and Pulaski make a bet that Data could do it if, he, if, they, if they had the computer synthesize a mystery. So right. they go back to the holodeck, and they fire it up and say, like, synthesize a Holmes-type mystery and let's see what happens 
So they walk out and into the holodeck and they spend another 10 minutes talking about how plausible the simulation is. And <laughs> then... Uh, These streets really do reek of shit. <laughs> <laughs> London is a real dump in this, in this time period. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Data is uh, is quick to to solve this mystery as well, and Pulaski accuses accuses him of of being a fraud because the computer has gone to very limited lengths to uh, create this mystery by just combining a couple of elements of existing Sherlock Holmes stories. That's their second try. So Jordy's like, "All right, I've got an idea." He calls the arch, and he's like, "Look." Can you come up with a Sherlock Holmesian style mystery that is difficult enough to confound data? Right. And I think he specifically calls for a villain that is right. smart enough to defeat data. And this is an interesting scene because uh we see this is when we first see Moriarty who becomes this villain. He is walking around this simulated London, and he notices the arch being called for before Jordy puts in this command, which winds up, you know, this command is the thing that triggers the danger in this episode, because the computer makes it a villain that can defeat Data in the real world, not a villain that can defeat Data in a simulated holodeck game. Right. And if you're not someone who watches these episodes, when you're on the holodeck, uh, when you call the arch, it just basically pulls up a a big arched computer screen that you can then change your your simulation through. Right. It allows you to talk to the computer. It appears within the simulated world. It's not like like it shuts everything down. So so it's it's strange that Moriarty is noticing this arch before Jordy says that because normally holodeck characters are programmed to be unaware of the fact that they are simulations. Right. Much in the same way that we are, man. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> so already Moriarty appears to be more capable than his fake brethren on the holodeck. Right. Like a can-can girl comes up to him. She's like, "What? what's that, governor? <laughs> so Moriarty notices this. The, the program has been changed. And Moriarty, like feel something like he has been changed right. by the program because acting <laughs> one of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the friends of DeSoto make when we do a code 47 episode people send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. <laughs> My love is a Jordy and Data like start wandering around and they get separated from Dr. Pulaski and then they hear her scream and they find her shoe on the street. It doesn't look like a shoe that would come off that easily, but uh yeah, it looks like a shoe that would come off only if the foot was inside. Yeah. But but the game is a foot and uh and this is a a mystery that Data doesn't doesn't know, you know, any of the details of. So so there's some discussion uh, surrounding that as they as they start to investigate and look for clues, which is that Data is like really surprised that the computer was even able to do this, which sort of puts him in Pulaski's camp in a weird way. Like he doesn't think the computer that capable in the same way that she doesn't think he is that capable. They're just kicking through the shitty streets of London. Yeah. They end up finding Moriarty's lair. After a couple of tries. Yeah, it's like uh, easier to find than you would hope a uh, a Holmes-type villain would would be. But yeah, it's, it's clear this part isn't the challenge. Yeah, like he's he wants to be found. Um, he hasn't concealed his tracks that well. And so they find him and uh, he comes out and says, you know, I have, I have Catherine Pulaski. 
um, but I want I want some information like what the fuck is going on and he gives Data a piece of paper and Data like basically shits himself and <laughs> runs for the exit of the holodeck what do you think Data shitting himself sounds like <laughs> like an espresso machine on clean mode <laughs> I was just thinking like a handful of bolts and nuts falling to the floor <laughs> Like you know, in uh, in the Great Escape, when they're when they dump the dirt out uh, on the on the baseball diamond from <laughs> yep. the bottom of their trouser leg, uh-huh. just picture just picture a bunch of uh, you know fistfuls of hardware coming out the bottom of <laughs> Data's uniform. Perfect. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So Data's tracking this stuff through the Enterprise corridors because he's got to go talk to Picard. Yeah. And and Jordy's like, "What the fuck, man? Yeah. What's on the paper?" And this paper has survived coming out of the holodeck, which is, um, you know, something that has happened a few times now, you know, Wesley getting soaked on the holodeck and walking out and there being plenty mm-hmm. of water still on him. Snowballs can survive outside the holodeck. Uh, paper can. I guess Moriarty cannot and unclear why that is. But Data gives the piece of paper to Jordy, and Jordy flips it over and it is a pretty perfect drawing of the profile of the starship enterprise yeah it looks like it's been traced out of some sort of technical manual it's it's perfect yeah it may in fact have been traced out of one of those books about the starship enterprise that they used to publish books that we're saying that we never owned at any (laughs) point in time in our life (laughs) that we will deny to the death yeah why do i need to own it when my school library has it yeah, that's a perfectly fair excuse for something that uh, I clearly didn't own ever either. Yeah. Uh, so they... Uh, like, why would I want to read that on the school bus? Like, that's <laughs> no way to make friends. No, yeah. That's a great point, Adam. It uh, it hardly fit into a book bag. Not that I would know, but like its its dimension seemed like a little bit bigger than what right. you normally pack in there as a, as a sixth grader. Right, and you got a lot of books and... Uh, a sixth grader just really trying to make... Any friend at all? <laughs> Anywhere? Yeah. Who sat up front near the driver? Are, are you because, talking about... Because she seemed like the only person you could actually talk to about anything. No, Adam, are you talking about yourself, or are we just kind of speculating about a hypothetical sixth grader? So Data and Jordy <laughs> meet up with the captain <laughs> and uh, and sort of alert Captain Picard that, you know, some shit's going down on the holodeck. Yeah. And... Uh, some of this shit involves a self-aware holodeck character who seems to know it's on a ship, and uh, that shit ain't right. No, that shit is wrong. And Picard, to his credit, is like, well, let's uh, shut down the program. That seems easy enough. Yeah, they they discuss a few options for shutting down the program, but the but Moriarty has taken a, enough control that uh, they would have to do something pretty drastic, like run warp plasma into <laughs> into the holodeck, which would destroy the holograms, but it would also vaporize Catherine Pulaski, which you know, like let's 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 keep that as a plan B, but. That- Given uh, given Worf's feelings on terminating pregnancies, I feel like that would be Worf's first choice. Yeah, like like flood the place with plasma. One death is within acceptable limits. Would would that he had been captain in this moment? Yeah, he's 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 pretty far down the uh, the command structure from the people that are actually going to decide. 
As they're talking about these plans, we get one of our biggest bangers of the series. Like, everyone in the room gets rocked because the ship gets shaken, right? Yeah. I'm going to call these bangers. Okay. Bangers it is. Yeah. Computer, what happened? Attitude and stabilization control of the Enterprise was momentarily transferred to holodeck 2. One thing that they don't discuss is the possibility of beaming the Doctor out of the holodeck, which uh, I kind of wish had at least been discussed so that they could come up with a fake explanation for why it wouldn't work but uh didn't didn't come up and uh it definitely like it, that bumped me a little bit but uh the the solution that they arrive at is Worf and Captain Picard are going to put on Victorian costume and go back down to the old holodeck with uh with Geordi and Data and uh that leads to a pretty hilarious scene right outside the holodeck where Captain Picard has like a uh it's like a walking stick and a top hat, and that's one of those top hats that like flips out, you know? It, yeah, like a like a magician. Yeah, and he and he pops it out, and Worf like goes into karate stance because he wasn't <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> ready, ready to take on all comers, Worf. <laughs> a warrior's hat. <laughs> uh, they go in, and uh, Captain Picard. Uh, has a confrontation with Moriarty and uh and so yeah, so what has happened is that because Geordi gave the computer leave to create a villain that could feed, defeat data and not just a villain that is uh capable of defeating Holmes that is original uh Mori- Moriarty has uh awareness of you know like he can he can access the computer banks he has basically figured out that he is a simulation on a ship and Picard has to go kind of break the news to him that they don't like for all of their advanced technologies they don't have any way of making him a permanent uh creature that can survive outside the holodeck which is uh which plays right back into the argument that Pulaski and Jordy were having in the, in the beginning, which is Moriarty has self-awareness. He can do things that are unpredictable and, uh, and make him plausibly uh, self-conscious. I think, I think he passes everybody's Turing test, essentially. But they insist that he is not alive and that he doesn't exist in a real way because he is confined to this one room of this ship. He has to have that that dear holodeck moment that he had when he was Dixon Hill at the very end of that episode. Where yeah, he's like he's like, hey, I know we got to be friends in this program, but uh, you're fake. And bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so the captain promises to make Moriarty's program, you know, save Moriarty's program until such time as they can uh, bring him into reality. Uh, research pending and. Uh, Moriarty is satisfied by that and relinquishes control of the holodeck and the captain saves his program and they shut everything down and everything is all good after that and the last shot of the episode is the USS Victory showing up. Yeah, Picard sort of lawyers him. Mm -hmm. Lawyers him into uh, non-existence. I am the cutest of all. Why did Worf even dress up? Yeah, he just stayed outside the holodeck the whole time. Yeah, that was a real bummer. I was expecting Worf to interact with some old English people. Yeah, it would have been fun. Yeah. The other thing that I didn't understand about this was Moriarty was a mischievous character, but he wasn't really a villain. 
ever like he kidnapped Pulaski, but he you know he just fed her crumpets and tea. And Moriarty in the books is supposed to be evil, right? Right. He's I think he's supposed to essentially be a psychopath. Like he's yeah. He he is willing to use any amount of violence to achieve his his ends because he doesn't have any like feeling for. I mean, I, I haven't. Uh, I'm not like steeped in Arthur Conan Doyle or anything, but uh, like he is he is the opposite of of Holmes, right? Like in that he. He's like a genius, but he uh, has no scruples. Do you think that the that the subtle message there is that with knowledge you can't help but be less evil? Like, M- maybe. Like, igno- like, uh, like as soon as he's granted uh, all of the ship's knowledge through the computer, like he decides that being a bad person is a pretty shitty path, and he just decides to be uh, malevolently neutral. Yeah. Uh, yeah, chaotic neutral. Uh, I don't know. Um, I uh, yeah, he would be chaotic neutral, wouldn't he? Yeah, it's 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 a strange choice because I think that it would have been a much trickier challenge to satisfy a character that is in fact evil, like that 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 is is bent on self betterment at the expense of any and all others. Uh would have been would have been much harder for Picard to to overcome. Yeah, if if Moriarty was Armis, right, things would have turned out a lot differently. So nice of the computer to make a villain that was not a psychopath, I guess. <laughs> but I never felt like any there was any actual danger. So yeah. it's it's really just kind of a it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting dive into the idea of computer intelligence and what it means. Um, and, but unfortunately it just kind of rests on this dumb plot device of like, Oh, we just told the computer to make something as advanced as data, which is like the other thing is like Nunyan Soong is the only person in the universe that has ever been known to be able to create something as advanced as data. So the computer can do it by accident. What? Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be a thing that they should do more about. Yeah. What did you think of the episode as a whole? I was uh, remembering it worse than it it uh, seemed to me. You know, I, I, I remembered an episode that I didn't like very much. You know, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Uh, I, I really enjoyed watching it. I thought it was it was better than I remembered. I feel like it does have like some key flaws, but yeah, the story I thought was okay. Moriarty was great. I thought the guy who played him did a great job. His character was pretty interesting to me. Yeah. The worst parts were Jordy and Data talking in accents. Like, <laughs> yeah, like that's just really grating. That to was me. that was pretty rough. Uh, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda figure in this episode? Incredible drunk Shimoda. Sure, our drunk Shimoda award is goes to any character or thing that has an effect on the story similar to assistant chief engineer Jim Shimoda in episode two. That's a concise way to put it. Yeah. Uh, So Pulaski was my drunk Shimoda in this episode because she kind of starts the episode as like one of the key agents of the storyline and she winds up just sitting on a couch eating crumpets and sipping tea the entire time. She makes no attempt to like radio out to the ship you know you know like when when it becomes clear that moriarty is more capable than he should be uh she doesn't seem to have any kind of escape plan 
in the works and uh, is totally content to just let everybody else sweat all of the details of rescuing her. Like a lot of drunks, she just hangs out in the bar mostly yeah. and uh, and spits just robot racist comments whenever she can. <laughs> Real awkward. How about you, Adam? Um, for me, I had uh, I had Jordy for the Shimoda in this episode, mostly because like emotionally he was all over the place. Like he was real happy and proud with the with the model ship. He was explosively angry with Data when he ruined the uh, when he ruined the program early on when they were trying to solve the mystery right. in, in its first version. And then he also did that thing where uh, where he accidentally said something. Uh, to the computer that had some terrible consequences, and that to me uh, seems like a pretty drunk thing to do as well. You get one word off, and all of a sudden the computer is creating a program that could kill you. Yeah, got to be more careful, man. Dangerous times living on the uh, Starship Enterprise. Yeah, imagine, God, if if Riker said one wrong word <laughs> in his sex booth, uh, he's dead. Yeah, he's just uh, drowned in a wave of flesh i am locutus aboard you will respond to my questions i am locutus aboard you are bored all right what do we have coming up next on our next exciting episode in season two uh the next episode episode four of season two the outrageous okana while the enterprise crew plays host to a witty renegade captain data struggles to acquire a sense of humor do you remember this episode is this whole season just going to be about data trying to figure out what being a human is like that is uh yeah that puts it as a uh, two in a row at least i mean i i know i saw this episode originally when it came out but i don't remember anything about it and it in that way i think it just blends into every episode where data uh <laughs> data does something annoying to figure out what it's like to be human uh well does uh does your veto tempt you once more or are you willing to no, give this one a college try i'm curious enough about it because I remember so little that I that I think I do want to see it. Okay. Um, let's see. Do I want to see it? I think I do. All right. I'm not going to veto. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a it's a Joe Piscopo episode. Sure. Got to see that. Got to see that pisk. <laughs> that pisk, son. That pisk, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we have enjoyed talking to you. Fair listener about this episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. If you want to talk to us about it, why don't you go on to Twitter and use the hashtag greatestgen. I am at Benjamin R A H R and Adam is at Cut for Time. Our opening and interstitial music was created by Dark Materia. You can find the Picard song everywhere on every site on the internet. Yep. It's actually illegal to operate a website that doesn't have the Picard song on it these days. Go to gach.biz and email us if you don't use Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, go there. Uh, drunkshimoda at gmail.com. And uh, that about wraps it up. Yep. We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and a middling at best episode of The Greatest Generation. I've been Ben Harrison. I've been Adam Pranica. See ya. <laughs>